Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are good. We are going to get going. So, uh, if you haven't joined us uh, yet, we are in the middle of going through this large book in Romans, a uh, large book in the Bible called Romans, and uh, it's one of the biggest letters Paul wrote. It's his magnum opus, uh, and it's super packed full of a lot of concepts on the front end, and so we've been kind of slowing down on this front just to kind of get what Paul is saying, and so... Um, Yeah, hopefully you guys have been enjoying it so far, but just to kind of spin us up, so uh, just in some important uh, summary facts so that we can dive in for today. Um, Let me just pray before we start. Jesus, we come here today to encounter you. Lord, not to be entertained, or not for our own religious guilt, but God, we truly come here to experience you, the living God who sent his son as a ransom payment for our sin. God, that you uh, fulfilled your promise through Jesus. And God, we get the privilege of just hearing about it. God, whether we've never heard it before, or God, if we, if we have heard a thousand times, God, I pray that you would truly sensitize our heart to your gospel. God, for as Paul said, it's the power of God to salvation for those who believe, God. It is the answer that this culture needs, the answer that our generation needs. Father, Lord, there's generation, Lord, looking for purpose and meaning. God, they don't even know that there is meaning beyond their own entertainment or, or, or happiness. And God, I pray that you would raise up a people, God, that could carry this word, that could carry it in our lives, Lord, through our lives. So, Lord, we just come before you today to say, teach us fresh again today. Amen. Amen. So just a little background. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans uh, right after the, uh, the, the Jewish Romans that were originally there uh, were in Rome, were kicked out by the uh, Caesar at the time. And so all that was left were some, this ragtag bunch of Gentile believers and they kind of had the run of the house for about eight years until another uh, Caesar had, gave permission for Jews to come back. And the Jewish Christians that came back to their church, it was now a Gentile church. <laughs> and so they're like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Jesus is Jewish. Why isn't this thing Jewish? And there was, so there were two kind of parties that were kind of wondering, what is this new family all about? What is this new family? Now that Gentile, from the Jewish perspective, now that Gentiles are in, that doesn't really make sense because we've been the dudes, you know, we've been the guys. We've been the guys and gals, the family of God. Up until this point, how how are Gentiles allowed to come in, especially without obeying the law? But the Gentiles had this kind of church. They had their own kind of organic expression of what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, they didn't want to let that go. And so there was this kind of infighting, and Paul writes this masterful letter to kind of uh, navigate this tremendous conflict in this church. 
So we, in his little intro, like I said, like I, in, a, in that prayer, Paul says, man, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Man, this gospel, this story of Jesus, it's not just his death and resurrection. It's his whole, it's his whole story put in the larger story of God's story. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's much larger than just one sentence. And so Paul is calling out the Gentiles and their sin, and I'm sure all the religious bunch in the crowd was like, yeah, Paul, you go get them. You go get those sinners, those reprobates. And then Paul turns his attention to the Jews, and he camps out on them much longer than the Gentiles. And he's kind of pushing back this religious mindset that we'll kind of get into a little bit more today. But he's been creating this court case, like we looked at last week. It's uh, this, this common word that we find through Romans is this word called righteousness, or being righteous. Um, a same root is also just, or um, to justify. It's, it's, it, there were law court terms. It, wasn't, it didn't have any morality attached to it like our uh, English does. It was, d- does the judge find you to be in the right or to be in the wrong? If he finds you to be in the right, it means that you are righteous. And so God's righteousness was confirmed when he sent Jesus to fulfill this promise that we're going to get into today. And God wants to see us become righteous as we follow him. And so he's been creating this court case. It's pretty airtight up to this point, but then Paul just goes in for the for the jugular, like one last throw of argument uh, he gives in Romans 4. So if you have a Bible, just open up to Romans 4 and uh, have a little setup story to kind of get us in the right mindset. Imagine a four-year-old boy who has lost his parents in a terrible war. He is old enough to understand and to grieve, but not old enough to fend for himself. Some distant relatives look after him for a while, but they haven't got room or the resources to keep him permanently. They put him up for adoption. He wonders what will come of him with a mixture of hope and fear. Then one day a message comes. The couple, without children of their own, have asked if they could adopt and bring him home to be their own son. His emotions are strongly mixed. Of course, he's delighted. He has a future and a chance for a new life, but at the same time, He's worried. What sort of people are they? Where exactly do they live? What sort of life do they have? In short, what kind of family is he about to join? It's the very same questions that these Romans are asking themselves. What is this new family? It wasn't what I expected it to be. What kind of family is God's family in light of a crucified and resurrected Jesus? What does this look like? And so up to this point, the Jews knew what kind of family they were a part of. A long-standing tradition with epic greats like Abraham and Moses and David. They knew the family that they were a part of, but Paul, at the beginning of chapter 4, draws everyone's attention away from the law that up to this point he had been kind of camped out in. He's been kind of debating the law versus faith. What makes you righteous? Obedience to the law or faith? And Paul says it's by faith. But he 
draws their attention away from the law and he puts it onto something that happened well before the law was given. And it's almost as if he's trying to make sure that the ground upon which all believers stand upon is one, a one united platform upon which God can build his church. And so he draws our attention to Abraham, the father of the faith. 400, 645 years before the law was given, God made this covenant with Abraham. And so we're going to look at what Paul brings up in light of that in verse 1. Romans 4, 1, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? So pause, he's, again, he's drawing their attention. Abraham, Jews, you know, Abraham, Abe, Father Abe. You all know him, right? Yeah, all right, well, rem- what, what did he figure out? Let's take our attention off the law that you're so firm without, of not letting go, and let's draw you back to a further place to say, let's look how Abraham came to know the Lord. Verse 2, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that is not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous, not because of his obedience to the law, because that hadn't even been given, but He was counted righteous because of his faith. Paul's anchoring his audience. Abraham was the beginning of God's covenant family in the world. And part of the implications, this this word, uh, Matt mentioned it in worship, this word word justification. We talked about it last week. Um, Justification, it's just as if you didn't sin. When, When God justifies you, when he sees you, he does not see your sin. He sees the image that he made you with in the treasure of his own spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus. And, wow, the other part of justification that you see littered throughout uh, his letters is that when Paul thinks of justification, it isn't just forgiveness of sin, it's also being adopted into a new family. And there's a lot of, he, he talks about being grafted in, he talks about, but a lot of language that you find throughout Paul's letters is not just about your sin, it's about that God is establishing a brand new family on the earth, his people. And we're going to get into what makes them his people. Is it their ethnicity going back to Abraham, or is it something else? The backbone to this whole chapter is Genesis 15. This whole, this whole chapter in, in chapter 4 is, is, is Paul is extrapolating out Genesis 15. That's what happened. That's where we find the story of Abraham. Actually, in, Gen- in Genesis 12 uh, is when God comes to Abraham and he calls them out of his father's house and into a land that God would show him. And a little bit later, God comes to him again in verse in chapter 15, verse 6, and he says this. He brought him outside. God brought Abraham outside, and it must have been at night, because he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he, God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. 
Genesis does not say Abraham kept the, kept the word of the law, and so God established a covenant with him. This would have meant that Abraham and all his descendants, in order to serve God, would actually have to perform good deeds in order to get salvation. But that's not how God set this thing up at all. Abraham was a regular old pagan before he was called by the one true God. At this point, Abraham is very much unaware about who this God might be or what it will mean to follow him or to be conformed to his will and his way. He doesn't know any of that. And yet God called Abraham into covenant, a covenant designed to deal with the problem of sin itself and all its consequent human degradation, disintegration, and wickedness. So before Abraham did any of that, God saw Abraham's heart and he called him. Abraham didn't know anything about what he was going to sign up for. But when God came and said, I'm going to do this for you, Abraham said, I know you will. I trust you. You're going to pull through. Without any doubt, without any hesitation. And when God saw that kind of heart, he says, you're righteous. You're in the right. Your heart is in the right. So in other words, (laughs) Abraham starts where we all start. (laughs) God did not say that Abraham was fine as he was. Abraham's initial trust in God's promise of a large family was simply the beginning of a process of testing, of trial, of growth, of transformation. And so Paul is saying, listen, my Jews, can't you see that Gentiles are coming in by faith into the covenant family the exact same way Abraham, the one we say is the father of our faith, these Gentiles are coming to the faith the same way that Abraham did. So before the law, God made a covenant with Abraham because of his faith. Even before circumcision, we got a little bit of that last last week, even before circumcision was given as a sign of the covenant, it happened much later than when God established his covenant with Abraham. It was an outward sign that this covenant had been established. But the covenant wasn't found in this outward sign. It was found in God's promise to Abraham. And so Paul says, don't you see what God is doing to these Roman believers? Don't you see what God is doing? He is fulfilling his promise to Abraham through his son Jesus, that through Abraham, that all the nations will be blessed, that he would be a father of not just one nation, but of many nations. Paul is saying that moment is here. Do you not see what's happening? So Paul says in verse 13, it's clear then that God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham. Wow. See, in Abraham, if you read in Genesis, it seems as if God's choosing one people and he's giving them a particular promised land. And that story is the anchor to the Jewish history, is that God established this covenant and pulled through by giving them this promised land. But because of Jesus, now I've been wrestling with this a little bit, so I'm about to say something I'm I'm still kind of wrestling with, but because of Jesus, and his inheritance is the entire world, see if I can do this. 
God's promise to Abraham, as Paul says, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based upon obedience to God's law, but on the new relationship with God that comes by faith. This promise to give the whole earth to Abraham, does that not mean that after Christ, that those who live are living in God's promised land no matter where you're at? Because Jesus is king of the whole world. And so a lot of the lessons that we look about and what we see about going into the promised land and, and kicking out enemies and taking dominion, is that not our call in our generation for our country, for our community? And so Paul is coming right after this particular mindset that is blinding, especially the Jews, but I would say throughout human history has blinded a lot of people from seeing the way God sees things. And he's coming after this, what I would call bounded set thinking. Bounded set thinking. And bounded set thinking kind of looks like this. Uh, if we can run the slides, that'd be great. There's a slide there, the first says bounded set thinking. All right, bounded set thinking. This is a lot of times how we think. And this is, this is what the Jews were thinking. We're in the inn. And what makes us in the inn is that we have the law, we have circumcision, we have uh, this tradition, we have being chosen by God, we have God's promise over Abraham, our father, ethnic, ethnic father. Man, we're in the inn. Now who are on the out? Man, those are all the Gentiles, all the sinners and tax collectors, reprobates. Man, those are on the outside. Paul is saying that's not how God sees things. And in our way, do we not make these same lists, Christians? Do we not make these same lists? This is what it looks like to be in. This is what it looks like to be out. These are the ex external behaviors that everyone is kind of assuming that you're going to have if you're in. And here's all the external behaviors that you're going to have if you're out. Paul is saying that that is a wrong way to see what I'm talking about. It's not about in or out as much as it is towards this centered set thinking. So a centered set thinking is that there's a center. And for us, for Paul's purposes, it's Christ. Christ is the center. Jesus is the center. And you have all these people kind of gathering around and they're all the same color. It's not just because you're of a certain particular you know, ethnicity or heritage or that you're X amount foot tall or that you're a man or a woman, God says, man, all are equal in my kingdom, but what really matters is this last slide, what direction are you heading in? That's what determines who's in, who's out. It's not these external behaviors, but it's a heart condition that's oriented towards the center, oriented towards the king of the universe, oriented towards God's sent son. That it's following him. It's about our heart pursuing. Following him is what matters. So for Paul, he's saying, man, Jews, your law doesn't matter anymore. Not that we throw it away, which some teachers propose doing, but it's that the weight of that law over the righteousness of man and women, men and women, have been dealt with significantly, totally, by Jesus. And is your heart 
moving in the direction of Christ? Or is it moving away? What matters is your faith about moving closer to Jesus, or is it moving away? Now, that's obviously in a snapshot of time. And I know many of us maybe grew up in church or we had kind of an encounter with God in college or maybe early on in our 20s. And man, we were on fire. Man, we were moving forward. Man, we were like, God can do the impossible through my life. Man, I, I, if I got the Holy Spirit in me, man, I can be praying for people. Man, I can be loving on people the way Jesus did and be a part of his unfolding story. But as life kind of happens, as life hits us, our expectations get torn down. Our way of um, what we think is how our, how our life is going to unfold. Uh, certain pains, certain mistakes that we've made, certain relationships that have been either pulled out from underneath us or we've pulled out uh, ourselves. And so as we live life, we can, we can kind of find ourselves in a station of life where, yeah, we had some encounters with God, and, and yeah, my heart is, is right before the Lord, but I'm just kind of doing my own thing because I tried that. It would be interesting to have a conversation or, uh, or put somebody talking like that next to a guy like Abraham. Abraham gave this promise or God gave this promise to Abraham that through you, look up at the stars, Abraham. Your descendants are going to be that many. He didn't even have one child at the time. Sarah was barren. His wife was barren. And so God is like, how in the world are you going to accomplish this purpose, this promise to me? I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he's going to do it says he never wavered in unbelief. It took 25 years. 25 years. There was a little stint in there where Abraham kind of went rogue and did his own thing. But 25 years before Isaac was born through Sarah. 25 years of fighting, of standing on God's promise. 25 years of day in, day out, saying this is what God said, this is what God said, this is what God said. I know he's going to pull through. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to pull through. This was his promise, not mine. He came to me. I didn't come to him. Right? You could imagine Abraham's kind of mental wrestling with what's going on about this promise. How is this going to be fulfilled? But God gave him Isaac. But it was over 2,000 years later that God fulfilled his promise. God is not slow in fulfilling promises, but he, but he fulfills the promises he makes. And so Paul is trying to captivate the imagination of his Roman listeners to his letter to say, can't you see that all who follow Jesus, the Messiah, is a part of Abraham's family from the very beginning? How would it enrich your walk with Christ to add this element into your life that it doesn't just begin with Jesus, but we see that it's a fulfillment that God gave to Abraham almost at the beginning. That in order to rectify the sin of the garden, 
that God was going to make a people for himself to reveal who he was, but then through this people send a Messiah to be a light to the nations to see the whole world come to know him. But we can't be caught by bounded set thinking in that generation or in ours. We've got to be directly and firm that it's not your outward behavior, but it's the condition of your heart, and are you moving forward? Are you moving forward towards Jesus? So when, in fact, Paul redefined the family of Abraham in two ways. First, this new family had been opened up by God to include Gentiles, specifically Gentiles who believe the gospel. But yet, second, Paul narrows down the Jews as well. Membership in God's new covenant family is not automatically based upon being an ethnic descendant of Abraham. The badge they all must wear is that of faith in Jesus, God's Redeemer, Messiah, and the world's rightful King. All these previous labels that you thought you had, you got to drop them. You can't hold on to them in Jesus at the same time. It must be full allegiance to Jesus or you don't have allegiance at all. And Paul keeps going, verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Wow, that's pretty awesome. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous. If we, are, if we believe in Him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised to life to make us right with God. For Paul, the ancient Jewish dream has now been fulfilled in Jesus. God called Abraham to undo the sin of the human race, and this, and it is through Jesus that God chose to do it. God is the God of a new hope. New fruitfulness because he's the God of new starts, fresh creation. When Jesus was raised from the dead, God, not, God was not only saying, this is my son, <laughs> but those who follow him, these are my people. So a good question to ask is, am I one of God's people? Am I a follower of Jesus? And am, is my heart moving in the direction? Now, hey, I may be on that centered set. I may be off the screen <laughs> when it comes to my closeness to Jesus. But is my arrow pointed and directed toward a true north compass of truth and of life? Is it anchored towards Jesus? And so Abraham's faith was at last vindicated. The promise has been fulfilled. Human idolatry, sin, and death have been decisively challenged. God has sent his own son as the Messiah to do for Israel and the whole world what it couldn't do for themselves. But those who believe the gospel and God's good news about his son are assured that they are the people of this new covenant. So is your heart moving away, towards, uh, moving away from Christ? or towards Christ. And it's always good to kind of do a check. If you've had those kind of early stories, and like, man, I, 
I used to follow Jesus, or I am following Jesus, but it's not like I ever imagined. It's a little bit more comfortable than I thought. It's a little bit more peaceful than I thought. (laughs) Then God, I believe, is asking you, where's your heart today? Where's your heart today? This may be not just not a fresh start maybe for your salvation, but maybe a fresh start in a season of life that God wants to do something brand new in you that maybe he's never done before. Paul says this in this chapter that he's able to raise up what was dead and call into existence what didn't exist before. God's promise of over Abraham was he was able to bring about something that never existed before, a brand new people of God. Not defined by ethnicity or heritage, but defined by a heart whose condition is, I want to follow Jesus. I've been wondering how to land this (laughs) all week. But I've been thinking about, do you know God's promises over your life? Are you aware that God has promises over your life? And do you not stand on those promises? Do you not stand, as Abraham did, to say, God, you are the one that's going to accomplish this. You are the one that does the impossible. You are the one to bring into existence what didn't exist before. And God, whether it be something in my heart or something in a relationship or in my life, God, these promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus over my life. And it's one practice that I feel like through the, through the um, unfolding of time and over the past uh, 100 years in our church, uh, in the church, uh, it is our church, by the way, Big C Church is ours, we've got to own it, that we've lost this connection to this larger story of God unfold, uh, God continuing to unfold this story of, of bringing heaven to earth, of seeing the garden through Jesus reemerge through the lives of believers all, through over, all throughout the world. And that's for us, God may give you a jersey, but you've got to practice to get in the game. It's like you've got, in order to get in the game of the kingdom, it's like, man, I've got I to gotta get in this word. Man, I've got to know what this says. Man, God, there's some promises in here that God has given me, but I just don't know it yet. It's like you having a bank account filled with a million dollars, but you don't have an ATM card, nor a friend that told you it's in there but it's yours. It's in there. It is under your name, but it's just, I don't have access. I need access. So I'm telling you, if you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you aren't in the word every day or spending time with his Holy Spirit or cultivating his presence amongst your life, you are missing out on what the Christian life is all about. God doesn't want you living on the sideline just coming to church every Sunday or whenever things in crisis or crack this open when things are kind of going bad and you're like, oh God, this rescue prayer. But God has a life that he wants to build through, in and through you, that if you looked back on it, you would say, that's impossible. That's exactly right. 
But I think God is waiting for hearts that are hungry enough to say, yeah, I want that. And I'm not going to look to anyone around me to, you know, prop me up, to come, come on, champ, you know, blow in. Hey, let's go, man. Come on. Come on, dude, let's go. Come on, we're going to pursue Jesus. And it's like, dude, what kind of... <laughs> That's hard. That's tough. That's tough in a relationship. But when somebody's like, dude, I want to get together with you, you're like, heck yeah, dude, let's roll. How much more God? God, I want to get with you. God, we need to spend time together. God, I, I need you. Things may be looking fine around me, but God, I need you more today than I ever have. And that heart hunger is what God is looking for, for his people to have. And that's my prayer, that God would do what only he can do to make our hearts and make our community a way that is a shining light in the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, God, I just thank you for Paul's tenacity, God, of argumentation, of laying out a case. And God, I thank you just for these last few weeks as we've been kind of camping out on this front end of his letter, God, that you inspired. Father, I just thank you, God, that Paul, you were able to give Paul the words that lays this out so clearly. That God, irregardless of background, irregardless of wealth, irregardless of heritage, God, your door to your kingdom is open wide for everyone. For everyone. No matter what their sin is, no matter what their habit is, no matter what their disposition is, no matter what their background. God, it doesn't matter. God, your arms are open wide. God, I pray that we would live in such a way that our arms are open wide to people God, that needs your love, that needs your truth, that needs your life, that needs your hope. But God, at the same time, God, we're a people that is so firm on Jesus being the rightful king of the whole world that, God, the doors of the kingdom are open wide. But God, there's one doorway to go through, and that's of the Lord Jesus Father, if there's anyone here that God has, hasn't go th gone through that door yet, God hasn't begun that relationship, hasn't seen what Jesus has done for them, if that's you and you're ready to go, God's like, come on, let's get on with your life. Enough dilly-dallying, enough wasting time, enough wasted energy, let's go. So if you've never crossed that line, just pray this, God, I give you my whole heart. My sin, my wickedness, God, I turn away from that and I pursue you. The arrow in my heart is pursuing you from this day forward and I'm gonna learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus because I see the person of Jesus and I see that is the person that is so contagious that brings healing, that brings life in its wake. God, I want that life. God, teach me. That right there welcomes you into a brand new family. Explore around. But God, for us, that maybe we've gone through that door maybe many years ago, 
But God, we've been too comfortable on the couch. God, I pray that you would kick us in the pants, God. God, that you would get us stirred up. God, not just by some hype, but God, true from the depths of our heart. God, that you would unearth, God, your Holy Spirit inside of our hearts. God, to become fully alive to the people that you've made us to be. God, to be fully engaged in the life that you've put us in. To be fully giving, God, your love to the people around us. God, I pray that you would bring us to a new level of what does it mean to walk together as a church, doing this together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the grand solution of your son Jesus to reconcile the whole world to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.